For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Time, the moment you've been waiting for is here. And I'm not just talking about football season. I am not talking about the 20 or so players we're about to talk about. I am talking about the inaugural breakout football podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Let's go. And what better way to kick off this journey than with four different segments all on the goodness that is fantasy football we'll hand out superlatives we'll dish out takes on 10 players we'll dive into the most hyped up players in fantasy we'll look at running backs to target or not we'll get that all later and then we'll tell you yes you our beloved listener how you can be involved in the show every single week Get hype, everyone. The Breakout Football Podcast is here. We're super excited about it. And by we, I mean me, Zach Cohen, and the man himself, Cole Topham. Cole, it is so good to finally be on air with you today. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. And I mean, just for that intro, you guys got to drop us like a five-star review because, (laughs) you know, Zach, before the show, he was telling me like, man, I'm getting so hyped for this intro. And I'd pretty say that you were pretty amped right there. So, I mean, if that doesn't warrant, you know, like a weekly listen, a five-star review just right off the bat, then what are you doing even listening to this? Just drop that five-star review already, and uh, I mean, we'll get into the, the award-winning fantasy football advice, future award-winning, I'd say. Future. Oh, yeah. We, we yeah. plan on a... We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. We, and if it's all wrong, um, we are not the Breakup Football Podcast. We are just another fantasy football podcast, so don't even bother. We're the Breakup Fantasy Football Podcast. Yeah. Exactly. We don't, if, if we get everything right, great. Tell us. If we get everything wrong, forget about us. You never heard it here. But yeah, we are super excited to bring you this podcast. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Music and Spotify, there should be a trailer option. It's a quick three minute little brief intro to the podcast with our full theme song and intro. And we'll kind of tell you a little bit more about what you can expect every week. And it'll kind of be similar to what we're doing today. Sometimes we'll have a guest, sometimes we won't. You know, to be transparent, we were supposed to have a guest today. Something happened. Didn't end up having one. So you'll just get me and Cole today. Nothing crazy, but we do have some fun stuff to get into. So I say, Cole, let's dive right into it. Let's not keep the people waiting any longer. We'll start with what should be a staple of our show, weekly superlatives. We will be looking at the games, dishing out superlatives. Pretty self-explanatory. For this one, we were going to give them to the guest, but instead, we'll alternate. So, I have a superlative, but if you want to go first, be my guest. 
No, nah, man, go for it. I mean, you were the one that gave the give the intro. I just I got to give you your props. <laughs> all right, all right, sounds good. Well, my superlative is biggest preseason winner, and it's so obvious to look at that and say, okay, like clearly a lot of people got hurt, and that helped a lot of other players' stocks. Gus Edwards, Lavishka Chenault, all big benefactors of injuries. But I didn't want to go the injury route. I think the biggest preseason winner should be getting talked about a lot more. One of my fantasy favorites at his current value. Damian Harris the Patriots running back and look I say Patriots running back and I get it you're scared off they have not been the most trustworthy bunch in recent years heck when have they really ever been since the days of Lawrence Maroney maybe so I get it you see a Patriots running back you're saying nah not today but listen to this per fantasy pros Cam Newton led all quarterbacks and carries inside the five last season He had 22 of those. The next best was Josh Allen, by the way. He only had 11. Damian Harris and James White combined had four carries inside the five. Harris led the Patriots with three. My point being, with Cam Newton not in New England anymore, you can easily see Damian Harris slide into that goal line role, start taking some of those carries, maybe not 20 of them, but he can certainly say, say get like 12 to 15 touchdown opportunities inside the five. Removing Newton should open the playbook more for Harris, who figures to be the predominant back in that backfield. So I think Damian Harris was the biggest preseason winner. That is my first superlative. No, I, I agree with you. And it seems like the Patriots haven't really had a feature running back since LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, he was good for like, a season there when he led mm-hmm. the league in rushing touchdowns and everything. And it was just kind of stupid how many goal line carries Cam Newton would take last year. So with Cam out of the picture and then Mac Jones, you bring him in from Alabama where during the scouting process, he was heralded as sort of the quarterback that wasn't dual threat. That wasn't dynamic. And so Mac Jones, Bill Belichick isn't going to ask his rookie to do things that he you know, is, is out of his comfort zone, right? And the easiest thing for Mac Jones to do is just practice handing the ball off to Damian Harris, right? So I agree with you there. Um, what about, I mean, Cam Newton obviously broke a lot of, you know, Patriots running backs, uh, owners' hearts last season. So oh, yeah. let's focus on a player that will do exactly that for this season, and I got Joe Mixon. This dude will continue to let people down. He let people down last year. He gave him just a taste for people to keep, you know, coming back to him for this season. The previous season, it was sort of the same deal, man. Just inconsistent production, that iffy offensive line. We're just getting a bunch of what-ifs with Joe Mixon. And until I see it put all together right in front of me, and after this season, I don't think there will be any excuses whatsoever. This Bengals offense is stacked. And if Mixon cannot produce in this offense, then I'd say it's the end of the end of the hype train for Mixon. For me, that train has already fallen off its rails. I will be avoiding Joe Mixon because I do not want to undergo that heartbreak again. <laughs> That's so funny that you bring that up. And we will get to more hyped up players later on in a different segment. But it seems like everyone who hates Joe Mixon 
had to deal with him. And for me, it's like he's being drafted as RB13, RB14 in most drafts. And I think that's a fair value. In 2018, he was RB10. 2019, he was RB13. And in 2020, because he missed some time, but he was still RB10 in points per game. So I think there's a very clear path to him to finishing right where you draft him. If you're expecting him to be a top five running back, and maybe that's what you should be shooting for in that range. Yeah, you may be disappointed. So that superlative being most likely to break your heart, that makes sense. But I still don't think he's a bad pick, especially if he wins the third down role. That's always been Gio Bernard. You give Mixon that, and he starts catching more targets every game, he can immediately go past his value. So for right now, I like him at the value. I don't have too much high hopes for. There is another player, though, who I have. And if you know me, you know how much I love this player in fantasy. This superlative is the tight end most prime for a breakout. And maybe I'm cheating a little bit because this guy is a top six tight end in all drafts already. I would take him as early as tight end four. TJ Hawkinson. It is about time that TJ Hawkinson just rose up into the upper echelon of fantasy tight ends. He was a top 10 pick two years ago. He's entering his third season. And I know that the fourth year is normally the year when tight ends really break out. You saw it with Kittle. You saw it with Kelsey. So maybe I'm a little early in the Hawkinson breakup, but I still think that he is primed for something big. And the obvious reason is that he's going to get a bunch of targets. Who's catching the ball in Detroit? According to every beat reporter, every eyewitness out of training camp up in Detroit, that guy will be TJ Hawkinson. He's been clicking in the offseason with Jared Goff, who isn't the best quarterback, so he may need to rely on a target who uh, you know isn't running deep every time, like Hawkinson. Hawkinson did see 100 targets last year, so we already know he's going to hit that, and Statistically speaking, when you hit 100 targets as a tight end, you're almost guaranteed to be a top six or top seven tight end. So my prime strategy is to wait on a tight end and take Hawkinson because I think he has room to be, depending on everyone's health, tight end two to tight end four. Tight end four, a little more realistic. So I love TJ Hawkinson. I really couldn't pick anyone else. How much do you love Goff, though? Oh, I don't love him. I don't love him <laughs> at all, but I don't need to love him because he's going to throw the ball regardless of five-yard dump-offs every third down. I'll take it. I'll easily take it. That is a good point, though. But you look at the good tight ends, the great tight ends in the league, sorry. They are their main team's receiver. At least Kittle was. Now they got, like, Debo, Brandon Ayuk back. Kelsey and Hill, yeah, but Kelsey is a whole other league. Waller. So I think Hawkinson can follow in those footsteps. Okay, so ba- based on trends – Zach predicting TJ Hawkinson monster season. Good to see. So for my final weekly superlative, I have most likely to keep you chasing for more. And I think this is this is a take that I sort of went back and forth with, but I eventually went with Jalen Waddle. I don't know if that comes as a surprise to you, but I think it's because Waddle, you know, drafted number six overall, high expectations for him to develop, you know, showcase that chemistry that he had with Tua in college immediately. And there is the path to be the primary target in Miami. But I think that production is going to live and die by Tua's accuracy and decision making, which, I mean, frankly, it seems like he's worked on the offseason. He recognizes, you know, some of the weaknesses that plagued him during his rookie season, and he's addressed it over you know, spring camp, training camp, preseason. 
but that's still pretty much unknown. We don't know if we're going to get a different Tua when, you know, the Dolphins schedule starts. And I, I believe it's a pretty tough schedule to begin the season. And so I think, you know, Waddle might struggle out of the gate and then sort of have these pop-up games where, you know, he scores double digits, you know, maybe 15, 20 points. He gets two touchdowns, one game. The, the chemistry is just on point with those two. But I also think there's going to be some rough patches and, and some growing pains um, as, you know, your rookie receiver adjusts to NFL-style play and your second-year quarterback, you know, takes on a more a larger role, right, as, as the quarterback, not just, you know, in name, but really just being the, the focus that really runs, it makes his offense run like a well-oiled, well-oiled machine. So I think that's why Jalen Waddell, He's going to make some flashy plays. He's going to have some some boom weeks, but and that that'll keep people coming back, right? That'll keep people coming back mm-hmm. to him. But at the end, it's going to be more rough patches than pop up games for Waddle in 2020 or 2021. Joel, I'm still I'm still stuck in the COVID year. <laughs> Hasn't it all been one big COVID year? At yeah, this it's, point? All, it's all been one conglomerate. Ugh, I still feel like we're in March 2020. Has that not ended yet? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like, I mean, what is it, the, t- the proper term for the twilight zone? Where oh, just, yeah. I feel like Loki when he's just like endlessly falling, you know, just repeatedly. <laughs> oh, my God. I, you already know the Marvel references throughout this show are going oh, to be, be off the chain. We love it. I see Shang-Chi on Thursday, by the way. So when oh, by the time really? this episode drops, you, you listen to this on Thursday. 100% will. We'll find a way to tie it in. So good take on Waddle. I actually agree with that. Speaking of takes, again, if we had a guest, we would say, hey, you're 10 players. Give us your take on them. But now Cole and I have kind of switched things up a bit, already switching things up from something that has never even happened before. This segment is called 10 Takes. Again, pretty self-explanatory. Got to go with the alliteration as always. We will each give each other five players and we will give them a take on that player nothing too long you know maybe like a few thoughts Short here ten. and there yeah. so you want to go first you want to give me a player or do you want me to give you a player sure i'll give you a player right off the bat did it it's some some guy i've talked a lot about and it's calvin ridley mm. your take mm. i love him i think he's so talented i've known he's been talented since he was tearing up my gators for the past uh, few years look he's going to be in an offense that is supposed to get him the ball a lot he already did that last year i think he was wide receiver three last season he is one of the few players who i think has a legitimate chance to be the number one wide receiver in fantasy this year my strategy if i decide to pass on Devonte adams in the first round i would wait see how far ridley falls we don't know how kyle pitts will operate he might operate more as a receiver than an actual inline tight end which again could hurt ridley's chances but Atlanta should be throwing the ball enough to get everyone the ball. Ridley is too good. I love Calvin Ridley. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd probably say the same thing. I think the path to a wide receiver one, the wide receiver one, is this season for Ridley. And honestly, I mean, since since he's coming into the league, I, ever since his first season in the league, the last two seasons, he's you know pretty much outpaced Julio in terms of mm-hmm. you know in the red zone especially. And so, I mean, Ridley's the real deal. He can be an alpha wide receiver. Yeah. The touchdowns exactly. are going to be popping. The fantasy production is going to be popping. Oh, yeah. Speaking of popping, Justin Herbert popped off last year. Yep. Some people picked him up right away. He was a top 10 quarterback in points per game. Your take on Herbert in year two? Herbert in year two? 
I, I think he can launch himself into that top five, but I think what I'm more focused on for Herbert and it, for your like for your dynasty teams is that this dude is a future quarterback one for fantasy football. At some point in his career, Herbert will be the number one fantasy football quarterback to roster when but you know headed into your season and he'll be going in drafts in like the second or third round. I think this dude is in a, in a super super potent offense with tons of firepower. They're going to give him weapons, build around him and he's going to have a great fantasy situation for years to come. Mm, that is hot and I love it. After looking at what he did last year, I could get on that train. My thing is, and this is not necessarily a knock on Herbert, is, well, two things, actually. One, he does have a new offense. We'll see how it measures. I would imagine it's a pretty seamless transition from Anthony Lynn to Brandon Staley. But two, and this kind of works if you're talking about, like, Tua, you're talking about Joe Burrow, any rookie. I really hate to judge a player off one season, whether it was good or Mm -hmm. bad. We've seen most prominently players uh, play poorly and then bounce back, revive their careers. But we've also seen players in recent years have a great rookie season and kind of fall off. So I'm a cautiously optimistic about Herbert this season. I think if you go take him, try to get yourself a reliable veteran to bookend him. All right. So you gave me one. I gave you one. Hit me with another take. I mean, how about another sophomore quarterback, Joe Burrow, coming off injury? What's he going to look like in 2021? Well, I guess I kind of just, you know, mentioned like half the deal with him right there. Like, what's right. he going to look like? There's a lot of concern. And where he's going in drafts, you're you're either waiting too long to make him your starter or you're taking him as your backup too early. It, you shouldn't be taking a backup quarterback of where he's going. He's quarterback 13, 14, maybe even quarterback 12 in most leagues this year. And for me, I just I think it's a little too rich, but I'm mostly about my strategy. I would rather take a quarterback like Ryan Tannehill or maybe Aaron Rodgers a round or two earlier and then wait for a high upside backup like a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields. Again, not a knock on Burrow. I think he's got the weapons. Of course, I'm concerned about his offensive line, and I don't need to remind you why. So <laughs> I probably won't be drafting Burrow. I don't know if he'll be a, necessarily a bad player this season. I just think for at his current price, I'm probably not going to pick him unless he falls. Do you think a large part of Burrow's stock is, is sort of attached to Jamar Chase? And with the way we've seen Chase struggle this preseason, mm-hmm. do you think you drop him or drop Burrow in your rankings because – you know, maybe that maybe his the receiver that they drafted number five overall isn't going to meet expectations immediately. No, because I think T Higgins exceeded expectations. Okay. He wasn't the hottest pick in fantasy last year. And then he actually turned out to play really well alongside AJ Green, who played most of the season and was not good. So I actually think it's the other way around. I think Chase's stock is dipping more so because of what he's done. And rather, I don't think, listen, if I'm drafting Burrow, I'm not thinking about Chase. If okay. I'm drafting Chase, I'm thinking a bit about Burrow. So that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. So I have a running back for you now. Give me your take on the one and only David Montgomery. Man, I would, so the, the verdict was out for me on David Montgomery, like earlier in his career. Lately, I've sort of like come back around on him. So I think he's a talented running back that could be a first round option if his head coach didn't seem to just forget about him at times. Mm-hmm. Like during Bears games, it seems like Matt Nagy would just air it out and just kind of forget about David Montgomery, the 
bulldozer of a running back, you know, in his backfield. And especially during his rookie year, he got better. Matt Nagy got better at the play calling in, you know, that, that in David Montgomery's second year. And mostly that was just because Montgomery provided a spark in that offense that really Trubisky just couldn't deliver. So I think Montgomery will have a more solidified role in his third season. And so I think that will put more confidence in his head coach and make him realize like, oh yeah, I do have, you know, one of the top running backs in my backfield and maybe I should utilize him a lot more than just, you know, on, on first down and maybe second, second and short. Really makes you wonder what the role of Damian Williams and Tariq Cohen will be in this offense. Cause without Cohen last year, Montgomery thrived. Cohen's missing the first six weeks. He was placed on the PUP list, but Damian Williams is there. It is capable. You think Williams's role might, will be the biggest uh, telling point of how Montgomery gets used. I mean, it could be, I just, I don't really feel like Montgomery has a lot of competition for touches and those guys are mostly just change of pace. Give them a, give them a few breathers on certain reps. And, and, and I mean, Terry Cohen is, is a very, very niche player, right? I mean, Terry Cohen is going to be used in the passing game. Um, he's going he's gonna to be used to over the middle and, and get yards after catch and in space. Montgomery just isn't really that dude. I mean, he's, he's mostly a, a traditional running back type guy. I mean, he'll catch a pass here or there, but, uh, for the most part, he's more a boots on the ground type running back. And I feel like Damian Williams will pace him, but not necessarily challenge him for any sort of significant production. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. All right, hit me with another play. We're on a roll right now. We still got a lot more to talk about. We'll look into hyped up players. You will actually look even more into running backs a little bit. We'll talk about how you guys can get involved. But for now, who you got? Yeah, we're going to go back to the, the sunny state. Miles Gaskin. Mm. Gaskin is so interesting to me. I was very high on him throughout all the offseason, just kind of expecting that he would be treated again like the primary back in the Dolphins offense. Preseason training camp rolls around. It's like, wait a minute, that might not be the case. My entire thinking was hyping him up. I was projecting him to be this three down back. And now it's kind of looked like, he may not be that back. They brought in Malcolm Brown. Looks like to be more predominant in short yarded situations. Brian Flores already said we may like end up riding the hot hand, which again is fine if you're trying to win ball games. But for your fantasy team, it severely limits Miles Gaskin's upside. He is the most talented running back on the Dolphins roster. No question about it. He doesn't need a bad offensive line because of his role as a receiving back, he can catch passes. He can make defenders miss. He is slept on as a player from a pure talent standpoint. At where he's being drafted right now, I would be a little iffy as an RB3 unless I'm very confident in my first two running backs. If I had like a David Montgomery as my RB2, I probably would shy away from a Miles Gaskin. I'd want someone who I know has a more defined role in that offense, but Gaskin is an RB4 or an RB3 behind, say, uh, a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and an Aaron Jones. 100% I'll take it. It's just kind of playing the board and uh, adjusting to your roster and your needs on the fly. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair assessment. Once again, I just think this is Miami offense. There's a lot of more questions than answers, you know, mm -hmm. regarding this unit. And so I, I feel like most of our questions will be answered around like the week four, week oh, five yeah. mark. But until then, I mean, I think there's – Miles Gaskin did not have a good preseason, right? And it seems like the, the Dolphins were very keen to just give Malcolm Brown touches. 
And so I don't know. I, I feel like his his handle on the starting job just is not as secure as some of the other backs in the mm-hmm. league. One player who should probably be a starter for Pittsburgh is Chase Claypool. Second year, he looked pretty darn good at times in his rookie season. Some people were saying that they actually purposefully appealed back his snap count because they realized where the season was going. They didn't want to overwork him. So your take on Steelers sophomore receiver Chase Claypool. I mean, I feel like that that's kind of like an odd decision, you know, just sort of cap your rookie and uh, and not see, you know, how much the, the potential, right, of him. So for me, Claypool is the fourth option to roster in Pittsburgh behind Juju, Najee, and Deontay. And so that alone, I mean, I, I talked about this on, a, on another podcast in terms of Pittsburgh and be there being too ma- many mouths to feed is not that big of a deal, right? Because, I mean, Big Ben, he's going he's gonna to spread the wealth and targets are going to be plentiful for those guys. But if I were to own a player in Pittsburgh, Claypool would be sort of near the bottom of the list. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I'm, I think a lot of the stock that goes into Claypool is his upside. Like you look at a, like Juju, I don't really know what else he has to give for Pittsburgh. Claypool, where he's being drafted right now, has his upside mostly baked into his ADP. So if you're drafting him, he'll probably end up being your wide receiver two unless you really wait in a receiver and make him your wide receiver one. I'm with you, though. Deontay Johnson seems to be the guy there. So I'm cautiously optimistic about Claypool. We'll kind of see how he bounces back. Yeah, I think that's just because Claypool sort of fits the traditional wide receiver mold as like the guy that can make the you know tough catches to move the chains and isn't really all that much of a threat in space. And so I think sort of his his value is less attractive to me because he has less potential for those sort of um, – you know, breakaway plays, I say. So, I mean, maybe I'm lower on Claypool than most, but I just feel like there's the more flashy, attractive options in Pittsburgh that I'd rather take. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So another running back, it looks like you're about to <laughs> give me, why don't you tell me which running back I should give a take on? Because I definitely got something to say about this guy. Yeah, so we're sort of giving our, our players without, you know, knowing going in. And I actually had Damian Harris to ask you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, you spoke highly of Damian Harris earlier in the show with your biggest preseason winner. Now, give me the take against Damian Harris, why he won't succeed in 2021. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, Damian Harris, why he won't succeed is pretty simple. We have no idea what his role is going to be outside of like short yardage, potentially goal line situations. And even then, maybe Ramondre Stevenson starts to win the hot hand in those situations, right? The thing about Harris is you can't really be drafting him for much upside. You're kind of drafting him for being steady, which is mm-hmm. fine. But if you're if he's like your RB three or RB four, again, you got to be really confident in your first two players and their respective ceilings. Because Harris doesn't appear to be the guy who who can take over like a James White role, and that's really where the points are won. The biggest reason running backs get points in fantasy it might sound a little redundant, but you got your receptions and you got your touchdowns. 
Harris's touchdowns come, for the most part, from short yardage situations. That's what happened last year. That seems to be what Bill Belichick will be doing with the Patriots because that's what they always do. They love mm-hmm. to churn through the running back by committee. So I think that's the reason why Harris's upside is capped. If I was not going to draft Harris, it would be because I don't know what that situation's like. New England backfields are always a mess. So I think that's why I would cool off on Harris. Uh, I'm still probably targeting him though, but that's a, that's a good reversal right there on me. I like that a lot. I got you. And who knows, like with all the weapons that they added, Nelson Aguilar, the two tight ends, Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, they might be just airing it out in the end zone and in the red zone more. And maybe Damian Harris doesn't get those looks. So, I mean, there's a lot of question marks with the Patriots offense, new look, um, new quarterback, and basically going to have to change the offense because obviously Cam Newton is a far different quarterback than, than Mac Jones. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll see what happens for sure. Yeah. These next two players, I'm going to do one at a time, obviously, have been two of the players who I've seen people draft the most. And I'm really, I'm like peeling back a bit on them. So the first one, and I've seen so many teams with Adam Thielen as the wide receiver, too. What's your take on the veteran receiver out of Minnesota? I think Adam Thielen as your wide receiver, too, on your team is kind of the perfect position because you know that one meme. That's like SpongeBob holding up the, the, uh, it's like a case that says all reliable on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Adam Thielen, right? He's like not the sexiest pick in your fantasy draft, but he still has that juice for second tier fantasy production. Having Justin Jefferson in there, I think helps because during those years with Stefan Diggs, it seemed like Adam Thielen really benefited off some of those one on one matchups where, you know, he just, juke a guy out of his socks and get those get get that short slant over the middle you know or or outside and then get the yards after catch and so I think Adam Thielen is always going to have that sort of that sort of role he's going to get a lot of catches per game he may not be the biggest end zone you know end zone threat and won't get a lot of you know double digit touchdowns or anywhere near that but he's going to get his yards. He's going to get his targets. He's going to get his catches. So that's why I think Thielen, Thielen's role as wide receiver two is, is, a, is a good one to have on your team. An interesting stat I found before uh, you give me your take right after this is that last year of Thielen missed one game, two games of that in PPR formats. Cause we, we do our, we do our analysis based off of PPR leagues. Mm-hmm. He had two games that were in between 10 and 20 points. He had a 12-ish point game and a 14-ish point game. Every other game was either below 10 points or above 20. So there (laughs) is some variance with Thielen that I think kind of people seem to miss. Again, it's not bad. It's just you say, like, he's reliable. I think it's more reliable in the fact you know what you're going to get rather than a weekly starter you can bank on. Yeah, that's sort of what I meant. Like, he may be more volatile and sort of, the high point you know low point but you know like he, he's gonna get you know somewhere within that range it's kind of like Justin Jefferson was like that at times last season too where he had a, a 20 point game then he had two game stretch where he wasn't you know too fantastic and then another 20 point bomb so uh, it's just kind of the way it goes with, with these with these wide receivers mm-hmm. last player for both of us Cole hit me what you got yeah, yeah, I got you with the tight end in Washington, Logan Thomas. Are you sold? I'm not sold, but it's not his 
fault. My take on Logan Thomas is he's fine. He's totally fine. I just don't think he's going to win you your league. I don't think he's a guy who you're going to be satisfied with as your main tight end. Listen, he doesn't really fit the strategy of finding an elite tight end. Yes, he was tight end three last year. Whoop-de-doo. But a lot's kind of changed. They brought in Curtis Samuel. They drafted Deami Brown. So this offense is back and healthy. Thomas, yes, still should be the main tight end. Honestly, just looking at how poor the tight ends are, I would imagine he'd still be a top 10 tight end. But I would, again, prefer give me the Kelsey to Hawkinson range. And if that doesn't happen... I would really need to consider drafting a a Dallas Goddard or a Logan Thomas or a Noah Fant at their current prices when I could probably wait and take either a high upside guy like Cole Komet much later or a veteran who might surprise like Jared Cook. So I'm probably not drafting Logan Thomas this year. Again, not a bad pick. Just don't expect much from him. Yeah, me me personally, I don't really take a – bench tight end to begin with I usually just roll with my starter then I'll pick one up if if god forbid something happens to the person in place but yeah I mean I'm not sure if I I'll be drafting Logan Thomas this season either Mm -hmm. speaking of tight ends this tight end I went out with me personally with my friend group has it is a very thick line drawn between who supports and who doesn't support this player. I have a very strong opinion about him. So you give me your take the last take before we move on to our hype check. Give me your take on Tyler Higby. I mean, Higby had like one solid week or one blow up week last season. I think it was like in week three. And then in 2019, he was basically like Chris Herndon with five weeks of production. (laughs) I feel like towards the end of the season right I mean that's that's basically those five games have carried his fantasy stock to where we are now he didn't get more than six targets in a game last year and I'm not sure that's going to change with with Matthew Stafford so you can miss me with Tyler Higby I'd say yeah I'm really along the same lines with the upsides there but everyone's saying oh because Gerald Everett is gone Higby is going to take all of Everett's production For one, we don't exactly know that. For two, Higby, like, there was a couple games in 2019 where he blew up without Everett, but there were also games last year where it's like, is he really that good? Is is he? Like, we really don't know. And it kind of goes to show, like, at the point where you're drafting him, you're banking on him being a top five tight end. And considering the Rams are – slightly below average in targeting their tight ends. And I'm looking at the stats right now to prove it a 22.4%. That's just below the median level of teams who target their tight ends. I'm just not a fan, especially when you got Robert Woods, Cooper cup on that offense. Listen, you can prove me wrong and I'll be fine. I can see the case for Tyler Higby, but again, like you said, miss me with Higby. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter how good he is. Right. As, if he doesn't get enough targets, if enough looks per game, then just the fantasy production is not going to be there. All right, this next segment. So normally in, in this part of the show, we we'll like to rotate. We'll have a lot of fun, different segments, do different things during the season. Maybe we'll look at the waiver wire, some recent moves, the trade deadline, all those sorts of things. But it seems fitting that for the first episode, we take a look at some players who had some interesting off seasons and we're garnering a lot of hype. So we're calling this segment 
the hype check. We have five players who seem to have for either better or for worse, had a lot of hype surrounding them in the fantasy community. So the first player that we'll talk about is Jaguars wide receiver LaVisca Chenault entering a second year, his first with Urban Meyer as his coach. So Cole, is the hype warranted with Chenault? So I don't know. I've always seen Visca as sort of the utility guy in that offense. That's what he was, you know, his his freshman season, I'd say, right? And I'm trying not to, like, uh, let my underlying love for DJ Chark cloud my judgment, but what we saw from Chark in 2019 was traces of a wide receiver one. And he did that with Gardner Minshew. Last year, he kind of struggled with injuries. There was also that inconsistent quarterback play. And I think Chark is going to be that guy for Tila. I mean, there's also Marvin Jones in the mix too, like that veteran wide receiver presence that will – you know, sort of command that locker room, put them in the right direction, but also, you know, be that sort of tried and true, reliable target for Trevor Lawrence to start the season. And so I know a lot of people in the fantasy sphere really like LaVisca Chanel, but for me, it kind of seems like the way the Jaguars use him, they kind of got to scheme him touches. And if the Jaguars fall behind a lot, which I kind of expect them to do with a rookie quarterback adjusting to the NFL, the roster still, you know, can't really compete with the top offenses in, in their division, you know, in their conference, um, just throughout the league. I feel like the Jaguars are going to be put in a lot of negative game scripts and that will sort of limit the creativity that they can put, you know, Visca and, and really exercise that versatility. And you touched on a big point there is that Chanel is really the best utility player in that receiver room. And I, I hate pinning players as that because Chanel can play all over the field. If Urban Meyer wanted him to, he's six one, he's two twenty seven. He's not like the Debo Samuel or your Percy Harvin or Tavon Austin size, but it does help his fantasy value that he can, you know, run these screens that he can play in the backfield if they wanted it to. And that really is the big question is how is this Jaguars offense going to operate? Is, are they going to run three receiver sets? Cause like you said, they do have shark. They do have Jones. And for the record, I think I'm more pro Marvin Jones than I am pro DJ shark, but mm-hmm. with Chenault, remember last season, he played 12 healthy games. I think you could say, and he averaged mm-hmm. 12 PPR points across those 12 games 26th best rate among wide receivers so he's shown that he there is at least a floor that's attainable i think the one thing working in this factor is the unfortunate recent news about travis etn because the rumors the buzz seemed to be that they were gonna take etn and kind of flex him out like a like a curtis samuel type back when he was in college under Meyer, which could make sense because Samuel played sometimes in the backfield. He played slot outside. So Chenault having that type of role or ETN having that type of role, while it might seem outlandish, that might've been what we were trending towards. So now you have Chenault who can fill all those roles that raises his ceiling in terms of his upside. I think I'm with you on this. I don't know if I'm buying the, the hype that he's about to be the breakout wide receiver of the season, but I like him to an extent. So I'm not buying the hype either, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily selling him regardless. I like his value definitely now a lot more with ETN sidelines. Yeah. I'm going to go, you know, no hype here. I think Samuel is really the only receiver that you can point to that is sort of similar in it to, to Visca in the way that they're used. And so I'm just trying to think of a receiver at Ohio state that sort of fits the way the Jaguars use 
Visca last season. And I just don't know if we can really expect that type of advanced play calling from, from Urban Meyer. Yeah, the play calling is going to be huge and how exactly we see Chanel because I have a good feeling after like, as with most players after week two, week three, we'll have a much clearer idea of whether we should have bought the hype on Chanel or as if we were, if we're, if we're being good here and saying, well, let's pump the brakes a little bit on the hype chain. I was hoping for some more flames. I guess we're just going to be boring and agree. Hey, it's Zach. Quick pause in the action here to tell you that first, we recorded this show before the Irv Smith injury news, so we only have four players to talk about in this segment. Oh, well, that's what happens in football. Gotta roll with the punches. Two, and maybe most importantly, if you're looking to sponsor the podcast and get your company name or brand on here, reach out. We'd be happy to work something out. Now let's get back to helping your fantasy team chase gold. If I'm wrong, Devontae Smith, is going to be the best wide receiver from this class. And he's already showing it in the preseason, right? I mean, here we are talking about another Smith, but he was untouchable against a notoriously stingy, you know, Patriot secondary and given it's preseason, but he also sent JC Jackson kind of flying off to the side on one of his routes. What, what did you think of Smith's preseason? And do you think like the him, the hype for him as, as the top tier, you know, receiver in this class is warranted? I'm not sure. And I think there's a reason to back away from the hype because of that. Look, I'm not about to come up here and say, I think he was a great college receiver. I think he was a bad college receiver. I leave the scouting mostly to my colleagues at the draft network, but for the most part, he looks like Smith looks like he can play. Is that translatable to the NFL? We have yet to be seen. I can't, I can't stand up here and say, yes, it is. Or no, it isn't. We just don't know. We haven't seen it. Obviously health will be a concern with him. He already, he will miss uh, some weeks. I think he should be ready by, week one I'll have to double check my facts on that but already dealing with injuries is not the way you want to start your rookie season by any means the thing that really stands out to me about Smith is yes he should be the wide receiver one in Philly I know they took Jalen Rager last year but and for as hyped up as Rager has been lately they spent more capital on Smith. You the seen cards, those one-handed catches? Oh my gosh! My God, glorious! It's fantastic. Like I do hope for because I was a big fan of Rager that it would make me so look better I. if he balled. Exactly. My thing with Smith is I don't know if this Philly offense can sustain a 100 plus target receiver because that's what Smith. That's Smith's benchmark. If you if you told me today that Devontae mm-hmm. Smith would see. 113 targets I would say okay 100% the hype's warranted and the reason I say this and I have to give credit to John Paulson of 444 football he's noted that since 2010 the seven receivers drafted inside the first 10 picks who played at least 13 games have seen an average of 113 targets as rookies that's what Paulson pointed out now the 23 receivers to see 113 targets last year only one wasn't top 26 in points per game in PPR formats. And it was Jerry Judy. He was 45. That's a whole other discussion about him. But, and obviously look, those stats aren't going to be completely repeated. It's just not, I do think it's a good benchmark because you've told me Smith could get to that mark or let alone a hundred targets. I like that a lot. I just don't know if that can happen with Nick Sirianni as head coach and Shane Steichen. I should have fact-checked how to pronounce that name <laughs> as an <laughs> offensive coordinator in Philly. Um, because 
Look, last year, T.Y. Hilton led the Colts, 93 targets in 15 games. That's fine with Sirianni as offensive coordinator. 2018, or that was in 20, yeah, that was in 2020, right? And then 2019, Zach Pascoe played all 16 games. You know how many targets he had? You want to guess? Yeah, how many? Nah, you got to guess. Give me a number. There's no shot he got, he got over 100. Nope. So, Zach Pascal, I'm, yep. I'm guessing 70, 80 range? Okay, I thought you were going to say 78. That would have been pretty close. That would have oh, been awesome. Oh, no way. It was 72. It was 72. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I close enough. I thought I had 78. Right. <laughs> and maybe that's because their quarterback situation. But look, with Jalen Hurts in this offense, I don't expect this to be designed as a pass-heavy team. They brought in a lot of RB competition. Jalen Hurts, clearly a threat with his legs. They would be wise to incorporate that into their offensive playbook. So I don't know. Don't. I just don't know if there's going to be enough target volume to go around for Smith. That's not saying he can't be the wide receiver one, but maybe you disagree. I just think that just because it's a player is a wide receiver one, it doesn't automatically make them a top 15, top 20 player. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that viewpoint. For me, it's more just like, okay, you know, Rager proved he couldn't really stay healthy last season. And as much as I liked Rager coming out of college, it just seemed like he just wasn't wide receiver one material. And Smith, you know, winning the Heisman, draft stock at an all-time high. Eagles definitely bought into that. They expect him to be the leading wide receiver. I feel like they're going to make it a point to get Smith involved early and be that man for Jalen Hurts, the go-to guy uh, on, you know, just first down, second down, get the chains moving. And so I expect a lot of, you know, just Smith being force-fed and really establishing that connection between him and Hurts early. And I think also it depends on how much you really – have bought into Jalen Hurts as the Eagles starting quarterback <laughs> mm. after last season, right? And and given last season is really like such a small sample size because, you know, we saw Tua struggle, you know, at points. I mean, Herbert looked spectacular, obviously, but I mean, even Burrow had his moments where it seemed like, you know, oh, the the development wasn't there, like the the reading that going through the progressions, it seemed like he might have needed a full preseason to really get more confident in that. And I feel like Hurts, you know, suffered the worst um, out of all that bunch because he was sitting behind Carson Wentz with, without really an eye towards a starting role um, uh, up until, you know, he was sort of just thrust, thrust in that role. Right. And so I, I just think I I'm a big believer in Hertz. Right. And I think they drafted Smith for a reason and it was to be the alpha wide receiver in Philadelphia. And so in, in order to do that, in order to establish that role, you got to force feed him the ball and you, you just got to put the ball in his hands and let him see what he can do. So he's going as wide receiver 31 right now. Are you mm -hmm. buying the hype? I'm definitely buying the hype for Smith. And I think, I think he is an easy, easier path to that, that 100 target season than Jamar Chase. Um, and especially, you know, in, in, in Miami too, with Jalen Waddle, um, obviously there's, there's that connection between him and Tua, but there's also like so many mouths to feed there. They brought in Will Fuller as well. So I just don't really know how much playing time and, and he's going to get, right? Smith, he, he's getting playing time immediately. That's my take. All right. Fair enough. I'm not like – I'm dissing. bullish on Smith. I'm bullish on him. <laughs> I, I would totally take Smith like as a wide receiver four for my team. If I took him as a wide receiver three, I'd love to pair him with a steady uh, veteran or someone a little more proven behind him, like a Marvin Jones, uh, maybe a Tyler Boyd, like ahead of him too, you know? So I'm not completely out on Smith – 
I'm just I'm buying the I'm not buying the hype of him becoming like the the best rookie receiver this year. Honestly, I'd plant that flag on Elijah Moore, who in his own right has definitely seen a lot of hype, but we're going to talk about a different rookie. Justin Fields has been the talk of the town this preseason. It looks good. Are you buying the hype? I am buying the hype. I was felt like I was sort of Fields' white knight during the NFL draft <laughs> process, and mostly just because a lot of the stuff that people were saying about Fields was just like straight up wrong, that like he couldn't move past his first read. He showed that he could do that multiple times at Ohio State. If you just watch the film, you could see him go through his progression. I think the biggest thing that – I realized over those two preseason games is fields, you know, a lot of these rookie quarterbacks, once their first two reads aren't there, they sort of, you know, get antsy in the pocket, they get out of there and they just tuck the ball. And when fields was, would get out of the pocket, when it would collapse on him and he try and extend the play, he was looking to pass the ball first. Like he wasn't just looking to tuck it and run as he was drifting to his right or as he was drifting to his left, his eyes were downfield. He was calmly surveying the action. He was directing guys, you know, to go get open. And so I think that sort of confidence, right. And the ability to, to command your offense within your first, what, four weeks on, on the NFL job is just spectacular. I think it's pretty clear that Andy Dalton's time in the starting role has a timetable, right? I mean, it's, it's ticking. I'd say, I give it five weeks before Fields is 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 the starter, and you know has developed that chemistry with Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, and so I think if you're drafting Fields as your second quarterback on your team, right, to fill your to fill your roster spot um, in case something happens or in case you you know your starting quarterback has a bye week, that it's a safe pick and it could definitely pay off later and later down the road. Like many people took the shot on Justin Herbert early in the season or got him off waivers once Tyrod Taylor had the unfortunate, you know, instant where he was basically stabbed by the, by his team doctor. Right. <laughs> so I think Justin Fields could, could have that Justin Herbert payoff in, in 2021. Um, obviously it's going to depend on when he's put into the starting role, but I feel like that's going to be sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. I definitely think it'll be at least by week, definitely by week seven. I would be shocked if Justin Fields is not the starter by week eight because they're playing Green Bay week six. Mm -hmm. Then they play Tampa week seven. That seems like a a bad stretch to be Andy Dalton. So for me and Fields, I'm actually going to bring up something that is a common term in the fantasy community. Do you know what the Konami code is? Uh, Yeah, 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 I do. Well, to you who may not know it that are listening right now, as we always appreciate, the Konami code was a series of buttons you pressed in video games to help gain extra lives back in the 80s. Some of you may have been around for that. Some of you probably not. Either way, the Konami code has also kind of morphed into this term to describe quarterbacks with rushing upside. That is Justin Fields. He has rushing upside. I watched him run all over the Miami Dolphins preseason week one. Did the same thing in week two. He's got the rushing upside. He's got weapons. Allen Robinson, who to me is a top 10 wide receiver in fantasy. Like that seems like a lock. If he did what he did last year with Mitchell Trubisky at the quarterback, I think Fields is a massive upgrade. They got Darnell Mooney, David Montgomery, guys who can make plays. Sure, the offensive line isn't the best, but 
for a guy like Fields who can escape that pressure and make plays, keep his eyes downfield certain times, I can see him being top 10 in points per game. Obviously, you don't want to draft him too early where you're locked into him as your starter because you don't know when he'll be starting for his own team. But I'm totally buying the hype with Justin Fields. I think you go into next season, he should be a top 10 fantasy pick. And I think that's something you should really think about when you're making these selections. So I'm totally with you. I would 100% take him as my backup. My plan, actually, going into drafts, I'll look and try to get Trey Lance as my backup but if he is taken i'll try to target fields so i'm totally with you i'm glad to hear we're both buying the hype on fields bears fans you can rejoice now dude i'm buying the hype on darnell mooney too i think Mm -hmm. i think that dude is gonna have an insane season as i mean he just like he seemed like he quietly cemented himself as like the wide receiver too in that offense and people like didn't really realize until this offseason and they're like yo wait like mooney's actually nasty Mm-hmm. as a route runner he's making Jalen Ramsey you know look silly <laughs> on a double move and so yeah I mean I just think the potency of of that Chicago Bears offense is is crazy you know what's also potent the Falcons offense and that's even without Julio Jones we got Calvin Ridley we got Kyle Pitts but Mike Davis they brought in you know in free agency during the, the offseason is he sort of the odd man out in this offense or, or are you buying the hype It's interesting because there's so much we don't know about this offense, like, you know, in Jacksonville, like in Philadelphia, all these players we've talked about already. So it kind of comes down to Arthur Smith and how he's used running backs in the past. That is an anomaly because he has had Derrick Henry the past two years as his offensive coordinator. There's only one thing to do when you have Derrick Henry as an offensive coordinator. You run the living daylight out of him. They ran the 10th most times two years ago, the second most time last two years. And Mike Davis is not Derrick Henry. But Mike Davis is not washed up. Davis last year saw the fifth most receptions among running backs. He was tied for 12th in yards per contact. So there may be enough talent here to be a weekly starter. He's currently being drafted as RB21 in PPR formats. So people who are drafting him are either getting him as a low-end RB2 or as your RB3 slash flex. And that seems fine to me. I'm still not buying the top 10 hype on Davis. I think where he is being drafted is appropriate. There is clearly a good floor for him in Atlanta because you know there's no competition. Rest in peace, uh, JV and Hawkins and what could have been an amazing best ball pick by me in so many leagues. Unfortunately, he was cut. So Mike there's Davis like must major quarter- pain behind oh. behind that statement right there. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of pain indeed. That's what we get for banking all our hopes on some undrafted running backs. Anywho, m- listen, my, my issue with Davis is let's say he does become the every down back. He fends off Cordero Patterson, who could be a sneaky pick in deeper leagues because of his ability to catch the ball this is an offense that we shouldn't expect to run the ball too much well clearly they're invested in the passing game that offensive line is not that good but adding a weapon like Kyle Pitts to one of the best wide receivers in football to one of the best I don't want to say slot receivers because Russell Gage played didn't just play in the slot last year he obviously had a lot of success outside but this is a very like you said potent offense it's not that there's not necessarily enough mouths to feed here because davis can still be a huge part of their passing game i'm just look this is not the best situation for a running back if it were davis would be drafting it would be 
picked a lot higher in most drafts. So for that, I'm not I'm not buying the hype on Davis. I'm not necessarily selling him. I'm just kind of I'm just kind of sitting there watching the hype train roll by, saying, eh, "Okay, I see you. I'll take the next train." I'm not completely passing on this one, uh, but I think that kind of ends my hype train analogies for this segment. So I'm not buying the hype on Davis. I don't think he's necessarily a bad pick either, especially depending if you get him as your RB three, you agree? Yeah, no, totally. I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, with my, my grande eyes, vanilla latte, just like checking up <laughs> on Davis, you know, seeing, seeing his usage and, and, you know, if he's actually going to be a legitimate weapon in this, in this Atlanta Falcons offense, but I, I agree with you. This is past first this is past happy. Maybe Davis can get, you know, some of those, targets on on game day but you know post second round running back zach how how are they looking they are not looking too good so that's a fantastic segue into our next segment that was our hype check we'll have a different segment for the next episode this segment is appropriately called cole's close up cole you mentioned post round two running backs what are you diving into today it's that what exactly about them? I have no idea. I'm just sitting here. I got notes on a bunch of those guys who I think you may talk about, but I don't really know. So hit me with your analysis. Well, we'll dive into it for a few minutes before we get into our fan Q&A, and we'll sign off till next episode. But what you got for me this week? Yeah, yeah and I'll probe you out a few times. But basically, you know, after the second round, it is kind of a wasteland for this – for the running backs there's a bunch of darts unproven you know second year guys players that suffered injuries maybe or were inconsistent options after a solid year so basically around the end of the second round i'd argue anywhere after antonio gibson at the 19th overall pick if we're going off fantasy pros's aggregate adp that's where it sort of gets a little dicey so the goal of this section of cole's close-up is to guide you to make an informed decision on on some of the best and worst options so i mean honestly to preface this section my advice is to kind of avoid the situation entirely and go running back running back in those first two rounds because i mean these rbs are notoriously more stingy than your top tier wide receivers your quarterbacks i mean even the tight ends you usually know what to expect like with the tight ends if they're an elite option you reap the rewards if they're middle of the pack you get single digit production uh, and maybe the the occasional performance where he gets a red zone look and, and scores, but running backs, you know, like, I mean, there's so much fluctuation. They can be starters one week. They can get they're, they're easily injured. So look, I've got three names for you, Zach. You let me know which one I should start with. I've got two guys. I believe are far and away the safest options after, you know, that Antonio Gibson mark and one guy I'm just avoiding completely. So I've got Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Josh Jacobs and JK Dobbins. Who do you want me to start with? Oh, well, I was notoriously high on Clyde last year. So why don't we just roll with them? Okay. All right. CEH player. I despise last season, not particularly because of, of his talent or the draft pedigree, but because of how freaking high he was going in drafts. <laughs> it was the perfect storm, right? Fresh off a national championship run. He got a ring first round selection. Damien Williams opted out the chief's most explosive off offense in the NFL everyone's thinking oh CEH he's going to get involved immediately he's going to get 20 touches per game and I think what none of us factored in was how different this adjustment phase would be I'm not only for CEH but for for all the rookies it doesn't even matter what position I think Edwards Hilaire was a running back that sort of needed time to catch up to the pace of Casey's offense I mean he certainly looked like 
the part in week one. But the offensive line didn't do many favors at the goal line from there. The Chiefs brought in Le'Veon Bell. They started getting Daryl Williams involved. And basically those experiments took away his touches. I mean, CEH even admitted that his last season at LSU, you know, playing for the national championship and all, contributed to his stamina during the 2020 season because, I mean, he had a workhorse role for the Tigers for the well, and then plus the two postseason games, he goes straight into preparation for the NFL draft. He wasn't allowed to get out of football mode, let his body recover. And so we saw his production taper off toward the end of the season and he suffered a lower leg injury as well. And so CEH, right, coming back, has got a full off season of rest. He's still locked in as sort of the starting running back. And maybe we'll see like a 65-35 split between him and Daryl Williams. But CEH should still get the majority of the carries. He should still get looks in the passing game. And it was Sammy Watkins gone. He's probably slated to be a bigger aspect of the passing game. So I think CEH is a safe option after the second round. He may have not delivered him in you know, his rookie season. He may have let down a lot of people last season. But this year, is there's plenty of reasons to trust him. What do you think, Zach? I think the biggest mistake I consistently make in fantasy football is falling in love with a player's upside too much because too often you'll see what a guy can be. And instead of saying, Oh, this is what a guy can be. And this is what a guy cannot be. Mm -hmm. This is the floor. It's their ceiling. You really need to measure how likely that is, whether he reaches that ceiling or that floor in Clyde Edwards, Alaire's case. Last year, I went into the season thinking he would have a big enough role in a good enough offense to be a top five running back in fantasy football. I now know that's not the case. Clyde, for as good and as talented as I think he is, he cannot be the Chiefs offense. That will always be Mahomes, more so Hill, more so Kelsey, than Clyde. However, writing him off completely is asinine because aside from his obvious talent, This is a player who goes into a fantastic situation where he can see 20-plus touches a game. He did that before they signed Le'Veon Bell last season. Heck, in the 10 games where he played at least 40 snaps last year, he averaged 19.1 touches. That right there is a golden number. It helps they improve the offensive line. It helps that Alaire can catch passes, but you shouldn't expect him to be a top five running back this year. But his floor is significantly higher because if you look how he finished last year and you look at he was pacing out to be, the, all of his numbers before they brought in Bell paced out to be either a high-end RB2 or a low-end RB1. And I say that as in a 12-team league. So let's say essentially a top 12 running back, which is what you should want for a player who's consistently going in the, you know, either back end of the second round, beginning of the third round. I personally would draft him probably around pick 14 or 15, eh, not 14 or 15, maybe like 16 or 17, because I'd rather have Calvin Ridley or Stephon Diggs over Clyde, but having a running back like this who can be so consistent is so huge. So I do like Clyde. After like that, that hosh posh of running backs after Antonio Gibson, and to be honest, I would consider Clyde and Joe Mixon over Gibson just because Clyde and Mixon mm. – have a better shot of a better path at being on the field every down. So I do like Clyde. I would totally consider him after the range that you specified. Very spicy take indeed. I'd say over, <laughs> over Gibson. I was a big Gibson 
fan last season. But bottom line, wipe just wipe the bitter taste out of your mouth from last season. Expect a different CEH this season that's you know more mature, more confident in his role. All right, so the second running back we're going to be talking about in Cole's close-up is Chase Edmonds of the Arizona Cardinals. And I think the main reason a lot of people are out on Chase Edmonds is because of free agency bringing in James Conner to be sort of the challenger, right, to the starting role. And I think there's, there's a lot of misconceptions about this backfield situation. Cliff Kingsbury has come out and said numerous times that he expects Edmonds to be the feature back for the Cardinals. And I think they brought in James Conner to be a bulldozer and not to take Edmonds' job. So Edmonds, he's still going to receive the majority of the third down work and the short passing game work. They're going to scheme him in, in ways where he's going to get the ball on bubble screens, on, on, on these short little dump off routes to allow him to work his magic in space, right? And Connor is not going to be a change of pace back for Edmonds. They're, they're two different backs. He's a situational back. He's going to come in in short yardage situations at the goal line. Well, well that may hurt Edmonds at times, I still think there's a lot of red zone opportunity for Edmonds to work with. I think there's like 70% of, of the red zone carries are up for grabs right now. And so Edmonds in every single one of his seasons has seen his stats rise in attempts, yards, receptions, and touchdowns every season he's been in the league. And he's averaged 4.8 yards per carry since Cliff Kingsbury took over this offense. So an interesting stat here. In his 13 career games, when he saw nine or more touches, Edmonds has averaged 14.5 points per game. So it's clear that Kingsbury believes in this dude. I mean, he stays healthy too, only missed three games in three seasons, played a full 16-game slate last season. And who cares if the Cardinals throw more with A.J. Green and Rondale Moore? I mean, that pass-happy attack is only going to help Edmonds flourish with his strengths because his strengths are receiving the ball. And so I think that's why Edmonds is a much safer option than people realize. And I mean, even if you're not taking him as your running back too, if you end up in that situation where, okay, you know, Patrick Mahomes was enticing in the second or third round, you know, maybe you get one of those top tier tight ends to fall to you, then Edmonds is not a bad option as your running back too, and much more safe than people realize. Chase Edmonds. He has been one of my fantasy darlings every year who does not hit last year. He was RB, I think like 26, definitely in the 20s. So he blew past his ADP and good for him, but you kind of hit the nail on the head. You shouldn't have your expectations too high with him. Like last year, I was much higher this year. We, we know exactly what his role is going to be. He is not going to be the guy getting the ball inside the five yard lines. He was out touched last season in that category. 34, to five they bring in a bigger a bigger back than Kenyon drake in james connor to do exactly that but like you said edmund's role is very defined because he's just good at catching the ball he's good in open space and this is not us saying like hey edmunds is only a pass catching back he's not he's probably going to be their lead back on first and second downs for most of the time if you're drafting edmunds my advice to you, again, is make sure you're confident with your first two running backs. I'm not entirely sold on him as an RB2 because while he has the upside, I don't know how great that upside can be if he's not cat if he's not consistently getting short yardage work, which he really 
never has. His upside to me is like Austin Eckler. Like maybe he'll be a borderline first round, first round pick, but there are certain aspects of the game that will leave you wanting more. So I love Edmonds as a player. Please, like, my God, if, if he could have like 20 more pounds and like two more inches on him, he'd be the perfect <laughs> back. It'd be amazing. But we don't have the super soldier serum to give him. So Chase Edmonds, I like, I don't love. I'm with you on that though. Yeah, 100%. I think my whole point is the backfield situation is a lot more secure than people think it is. And that should not be the reason why people are, are baiting Chase Edmonds. You know, because he's not going to get those goal line carries, sure. You know, his his touchdowns may be capped because of that. But you can't fade Edmonds because Connor is going to be used situationally. And sure, he'll get a, a handful of carries per game, but it's going to be Edmonds shouldering majority of this workload and if you think Connor is going to cut into that well then you're sorely mistaken and somebody that whose role in the offense I don't really expect to change Josh Jacobs because Jacobs first two first two years in the league first round running back pedigree right you expect him the Raiders to really make him a huge point in the offense and he has two 1,000 yard seasons you know on the ground but last season he regressed to 3.9 yards per carry and that 4.0 mark is sort of like you know the best benchmark to elite running back average running back right and despite his receiving prowess at Alabama he's not been he's not proved to be a major facet in that area and that hurts his fantasy stock and the biggest telling sign is John Gruden has really not been all that enthusiastic about making changes to his involvement either I mean furthermore the Raiders they they brought in Kenyon Drake they gave him 11 million over two years and with fantasy you kind of got to follow the money, right? If, when he joins forces with Jacobs in this backfield, he's most definitely going to take away targets. And he might lock down that role as the third down back. And have you looked at the Raiders schedule by chance, Zach? Barely, no. So Ravens in week one, Steelers, Dolphins oh team on the rise in week three, Chargers, and the Bears to start the season. And so God. what I'm saying is those negative game scripts could produce more Kenyon Drake touches, more Kenyon Drake receptions to start the season instead of Jacobs. And that might cement Drake's role as third down back, as a guy that's increasingly evolved in the offense, you know, further at the beginning of the season and translate to the rest of 2021. So where do you stand on Jacobs? I've said my piece. I'm I'm avoiding Jacobs, you know, over Dobbins, Swift, Montgomery, you know, all of those guys. Jacobs is at the bottom. What are we doing in Las Vegas? What is going on with this team? I was I was very vocal about John Gruden being signed to that massive hundred million dollar deal for ten years after posting like what like three winning seasons in the span of a certain amount of time. Point is, I didn't think he's that good of a coach to be honest. You win one Super Bowl, bam! Everyone thinks you're great. My, I digress. In the words of Stephen A. Smith, my point here is. I have no clue for worse what is going on with the Raiders right now. You have a perfectly capable running back who can play every three downs in Josh Jacobs. And what do you do? You decide we're just going to make him the, the first and second down back. You're barely going to get him involved in touches. Even last year, he was on the sideline for some third downs where he shouldn't have been. And look, I'm not, I don't really know who to blame it on. I mean, I guess that name has to go to John Gruden. Maybe it's the way the team was built 
because I have a good feeling that Mike Mayock wanted to, when he came in, and I know John Gruen his final say on the roster, they wanted to build this team with uh, the ground and pounds offensive style in mind. They wanted to have a big guy like Jacobs, and they just said, look, we're just going to take the best running back in the first round. They took Josh Jacobs. Jacobs isn't like you're a Derrick Henry type, and I feel like they wish they did have a Derrick Henry type so that they could bring in a Kenyon Drake to go out on third downs but you didn't need to do that. It, it pains me as someone who watched Jacobs tear up the Florida Gators for a, a few years. Uh, when he was on the field, of course, he had a very limited sample size at Alabama. It also pains me as a fantasy football player because I love Josh Jacobs as a player. That could have been a fantastic situation. You blow up the offensive line. Now you don't even know who's really blocking Josh Jacobs. And I give up. I give up. I, I don't want to touch Jacobs. Like, even if Kenyon Drake was like, oh, like, I'm just not going to be good this year. Are they going to give Josh Jacobs the ball and third down enough to make him of value as RB20? He's being drafted ahead of Mike Davis, of Miles Gaskin. Uh, it says Daryl Henderson. I'm sure that might have changed. Kareem Hunt, James Robinson's obviously changed now, too. Like, I would 100% take all those running backs before I took Jacobs. So I'm very out on Jacobs this year. I'm, I'm totally with him. you there. All those running backs that you just mentioned, I'd take over Jacobs, and and that's mostly just because I just don't see any evolution. I'd say Ooh, with, yeah. with these, yeah, with, good word. <laughs> you nice. like that word choice? Oh yeah, I just gosh. don't see any evolution with this Raiders with this Raiders game. I'm not sure how long the the Raiders are going to stick with John Gruden, but it just seems like changes aren't being made, and players are suffering because of it. Yeah, plain and simple. Enough said. Drop the mic. It's what what have they progr- done to progressively and obviously get better? Sure, you sign like some good players on defense who were good at one point, like Yannick Ngakwe. Like offensively speaking, like Derek Carr, he may be underrated as a passer, but like you're really doing nothing to to give him a winning team. And it all kind of boils down to look, this is what they're doing with Josh Jacobs. He's good unleash josh jacobs for once my god i could i don't know what made me decide to rant on raiders today but i I guess that's just the direction we're trending here on the breakout football podcast yeah i mean if we if we want to just continue like brian edwards not gonna break out henry ruggs like you you got to use him as more than just a vertical threat like there's just so many problems that are just so glaring so obvious it's yeah then it needs to be fixed it's a mess. It's a mess over there. I think they went and, and now with this whole tax thing, like that's why a lot of high profile people were leaving uh, the organization. Cause they, they got a lot of unpaid tax. I don't even know the full extent of the story. Just not good financially. That is all. Anyway, we could rant about the Raiders. It seems like for a long time. So that was Cole's close up the first ever one. Cole, I think you did a smashing job. Five out of five stars there. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Myself, I'll try to sway from the Raiders' disdain. I don't know why it just got brought out of me today, but that's how it is. Normally, at this point in the show, we'll do a fan Q&A. Naturally, this is the first episode. This has not been broadcasted to anyone yet that we are really doing this, so we don't have any Q&A, but this is just us pointing out, hey, there are a million and one ways for you to reach us, for you to ask us your questions and then in the following episodes every single episode before we sign off we will get to some of your questions so where can they reach us cole there is so many different ways oh my god yeah we want to hear from 
you. I mean, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok too. So you can follow me at Ham Analysis, H-A-M-A-N-A-L-Y-S-I-S if you need, you know, letter by letter spelling. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Zach and I were both super responsive. That's where you can find me. Just send a comment, send a tweet. Um, if it's if it's good enough and insightful enough that we can break it down um, and, and really bring out the finer elements of the, of the question, then we'll we'll put it on air. But mm-hmm. most of all, we'll, we'll just respond to anything you guys send us. I mean, send us a meme too. We'll, we'll oh, yeah. send you some some laughing, crying emojis as well. Please. Are you kidding me? I know this is like a fantasy football talk show, but I'll take anything. Give me movies, food, my favorite color. What, uh, what my three favorite States to start with the letter a are, uh, off the top of my head, I'd probably go Arizona. Wow. That's Alaska. Never been. Um, I really don't want to talk about Alabama or Arkansas. They seem like they're not too fun. Sorry to anyone who lives there. So I guess I only have two favorite States to start with a anything. Ask us anything. You could reach me at Zach Cohen FB on every platform z-a-c-h-c-o-h-e-n-f-b-f-b not standing for fireball it stands for football so hit us up on tiktok instagram at us on twitter i just got some new carrying carrier pigeons wow i botched that joke uh so feel free to send me a message through a pigeon (laughs) hit us up that could have been so elite that could have been so elite (laughs) oh because you know what it was I, I think I was thinking of courier, cur, courier, courier, carrier, and courier. And I don't even know, like, I don't know. My brain just got too scrambled in that. Point is, fan Q&As, they will happen every episode. Any question, preferably some fantasy football related, but we'll talk about anything. Hey, we will we'll donate. We'll designate a good amount of time every episode to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. As fun as we want to have on this show, we want you guys to feel like it's just as fun for you listening. That is the whole point of this podcast. For us, we love talking about football. We love talking about fantasy football. This gives us an avenue to do it. We're very grateful for Believe Podcast to allow us to have this platform. But at the end of the day, we just want to talk about football. So if you guys want to talk about football, We'll be here to talk about what you want to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I, I love talking football with you, Zach. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Why don't we uh, do this again soon? Yeah, da-dum, shall we? Da-dum, da-dum. <laughs> that's my heart. <laughs> that's my heart palpitating through the mic, by the way. <laughs> wow. We need to get really big so we can afford like a soundboard and then just like play different, play different sounds, you know? Yeah. No, and, and the only way we do that, get big, in the words of, of Zach Cohen, is by you guys sending fan Q&I, so, so please. Oh, I love that. I love that little tie-in. That was great. So, yeah, so now this is the part where we say, like, see ya, you know, if we get sponsors in the future. Perfect. Drop them right here. Uh, we need a catchphrase. If anyone's got a cool idea for a catchphrase, feel free to send it in. Like, I don't know. So, anyone, you got an idea? I got, I got nothing. I got nothing. I don't, I don't know how to sign this off. So, um, yes. Yeah, so please fan Q and a send, send in suggestions on how to sign this off. But for now, I guess we'll, uh, see you later. Yeah, that works. You can, we will see you later. You can hear us at any time on Apple podcasts, Spotify, the other ones, uh, maybe YouTube in the future, definitely TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, again, at ham analysis, at Zach Cohen FB. Uh, until next time, you know, just keep listening. That's fun. Keep doing that. Great. 
Just keep putting us on rewind. Just, just keep pressing your iPhone. Don't make us your ringtone, though. That'd be kind of weird. Yeah, that'd be a little creepy. Yeah. All right, until next time, I guess. Uh, see ya. This is our sign-off. See you later. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.